Hi, everybody. I am Hugh Heisel, and I am here as your host for The World Behind the World to Come, or as we also call it, The Foundations of Five Borough. In this docusode, we're going to go on a deep dive into how this world was created while we take a brief intermission from the main story. So first up is our panel of creators, and I'd like to introduce them to you now. We have Eric Ransom, Andy Peterson, Rachel Klein, and David Treatman. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. Hey. So would you go around and just uh, briefly say who you are and what you do in uh, this world of the world to come? Eric, why don't you start? Sure. I am Eric Ransom, as you said. I am the writer of the scripts and the lyrics. Uh, I'm a co-creator on the project, obviously, and I play the narrator amongst other roles. Brilliant. Andy. Hi, I'm Andy Peterson. I'm the composer of the songs and all the score, as well as the orchestrator and co-creator of the whole show. Fabulous. Rachel. Hey, I am the director and the showrunner and a co-creator as well of the series. Fabulous. And David. Yeah, I'm David Treatman. I'm the producer and various cartoon voices at some point. (laughs) <laughs> I love that. So you've worked together before on other projects, is that it? Oh, many, yes. Many, indeed. Many. <laughs> How many shows are in the canon of the collective here? Four, five, probably five. More. more. Like, at stages of development, at different stages of development, like, I would say, like, upwards of ten. <laughs> yeah. So this is great, because so we get to see uh, a team that is well-honed and working together, and, and there's sort of a shortcut. It was necessary in a project like this, where so many of us were learning new trades. So tell me, how did this concept get derived? W- where did it come from? The three of us, we were in a rehearsal room about to do a reading when Broadway shut down. And that just really got us speaking to one another about how it was very important that we do something that we use our skills as storytellers from the theatrical world in a a different way. And there was a bit of brainstorming, um, a bit of Zoom cocktailing, if you will, that was happening as we uh, kind of picked apart the pieces uh, of what's going on in the world. We wanted to do something funny. And as you know, or as our listeners will know once they listen, Eric has a knack for taking... uh, taking dark subject matter and making it very humorous and very witty. And Andy has such a gift with composing the songs themselves and all the underscore to really create such an amazing world. So we, we thought that the audio world would be a great place to start to be able to do something that was larger than life while creating it from the confines of our own homes. That's fantastic. The bulk of your lives have been spent in live theater. I'm aware of a a lot of the work that you've done, and it's amazing. How has this medium of creating an an oral experience been different for you to create? What are the challenges? What are the joys? I think, I think for me on the music side, it's it's different because what I've tried to do is really borrow from the theater world and from the film television world to work out how the music interacts with the scenes and how it affects the emotion and the drive of the the dialogue that Eric has written. So I think we're really trying to borrow from that and the old radio play world, trying to really uh, ignite the listener's imagination rather than like force feeding them visuals. We're giving them like an outline and then their imagination will fill in what these characters look like. So I think that's a challenge and also an advantage because... 
we're not uh, restricted by the confines of our own imagination. We're giving the, the listeners the power to kind of create the world that they want to see. Let's just lay the foundation. This takes place in a post-apocalyptic New York City-ish type of setting, correct? Correct. Sure. <laughs> so there's a lot of familiarity for somebody who knows New York or, or lives in New York, as, as, as we all do. But there's a whole other side of what happens to the things that we know after this apocalypse has happened or after this period of time. Uh, and, this, and that's why I, I find there's great joy in finding the comparisons and the very small little Easter eggs you throw out. What is different now in this world versus that world? And what is treasured in the future versus what we might think is kind of mundane or, or uh, necessarily something that we you know, revere? And also just small changes to what we call landmarks. You want to go into some of the landmarks that change and how you came about with those names? Well, that was part of the like happy hour brainstorming that we were doing very early on in the project when I was doing the basic world building of, of Five Borough and the world to come. It was me, you know, over drinks or over text at 2 a.m. coming up with a punny name for a future landmark such as Squashington Scare Park or um, Crime Square, Entrail Park instead of Central Park, so on and so forth. The list goes on, because as everyone who knows me knows, I am a very punny person. I should be punished and sent to the punitentiary. <laughs> I don't know who said that. I did not make that up, but credit to the person who did. I love that the rivers have really great names. The Mudson River and the uh, the Greased River. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, uh, David, how did you come on board this, uh, this whole collection of shenanigans? I mean, Rachel and I have been friends for a while. She works on so much incredible stuff and has always been pitching me lots and lots of things to do together. Um, and the, the bandwidth availability just hasn't lined up for one reason or another. I'd produced two podcast musicals before this and was kind of familiar with the territory. Rachel and I were talking one day and she's just like, I'm working on this podcast musical that is so much bigger than I initially envisioned it would get. And we could really benefit from some more hands on deck. So I was like, okay, you know, let me learn a little bit more about this. And as I sort of creaked open the door into this world and saw just how brilliant Eric and Andy are and all the talent and just everybody, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, is going to be huge and so amazing. It's been a lot of fun. And what Andy was saying earlier too, you know, um, part of the, the fun for me and the challenge is, you know, we have this incredible sound team, Mike Luno, Sean Haggerty, Cadence Hira, who are just bringing such a deft hand to the sound design, because you have to give people enough to construct a world and feel like they know where they are without overdoing it. And it's been a really fun balance to strike. That's fantastic. Andy, let's talk about scoring. You know, it's a radio play, as we might think of radio plays, but the entire thing has this score that runs through it. Was that a new experience for you to create? Like, it's nonstop scored. How was that different than, you know, buildings, uh, music for the theater? The first time I scored episode one, I did a kind of musical theater convention way and like just did some scene change music that faded out as the dialogue began. And then I listened through the first mix and I was like, oh, I, I think it needs a little bit more music through it. I think this like lends itself to more like the, film television world so I played around with that and as I've continued to score each episode I've kind of added more and more music into it it really helps set the location for the listener so like each borough has a kind of different sound to it um, so I'm trying to help the locations and like really 
tell the listener where we are so that they can hear the music and go, oh, I know we're in Queen's Realm or I know we're in Soderbergh by the synth and that kind of stuff. And matching the actors' performances, I mean, the underscoring paired with the dialogue is so fun to listen to and just creates such a unique experience that is so much more ambitious also than anything else out out there. Yeah, we often describe this as uh, an animated series that hasn't been animated yet. Um, and I think that the, the scoring that we're talking about really lends to that. It really helps when you have actors who just bring these characters to life in such a big way. So like half my work is already done when Mike on the sound department sends the, the dialogue through because I'm like, oh, I know exactly what the emotion is because the actors and obviously Eric's brilliant writing really just tell me what the music needs to be and I just have to write it. I was lucky enough to be able to read some of the scripts as I was listening to them. And there's a lot of sound effects, like Foley effects that are hysterical. There are jokes within the Foley effects. Was that a discovery as you went along? Because some of them weren't in the written script, but were they in your head? What, right. what was that process? Well, a lot of them I didn't come up with. A lot of them are designed by Sean Haggerty and by Rachel. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. When I started, there weren't very many sound effects at all. In my musical theater writing, I typically don't write much in the way of stage direction, that kind of thing. Obviously, this is a very different medium. And yes, by the time I was writing and revising, because I finished drafts a while back, but then I was doing revisions as we were moving forward with the uh, the recording uh, during the recording process. I would sort of like take a look the week before we recorded and clean stuff up. And as I started to hear what Sean and Rachel were coming up with, with the the sound effects, it made me think in those terms a little as well. So, so yes, that was definitely part of the learning curve for me. And again, like so much of this is a collaborative process that there are going to be a ton of things that you hear in the final product that you don't see in the script because we have this amazing team throwing out ideas and constantly making it better and better. And clearly the comic genius of everybody is used at full force here because this is very, very funny. Rachel, what's the difference between directing this medium where you have to work individually with each performer as opposed to being in a room with everybody, you know, in, in, a, in a rehearsal room? What is what is the challenge or what what freed you? Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, it's it's drastically different, obviously. Um, musical theater specifically is such a, a visual art form, and I am such a visual obsessive. So taking that down and putting that into an audio-only world, to uh, expand upon what Eric mentioned with the sound design, it's like we're creating with sound what we would be doing with sound lights, costumes, and set it all has to come from the sound. So there are large conversations. Um, Sean Haggerty and I have had hours of time together on the phone discussing the footwear of every single character. Today I made him Google what Louboutins are because clearly Yolanda wears them. And what does that sound like if on concrete versus on marble steps? That kind of thorough research has been really fun because it's really um, forced me, again, as a, as a visual person to expand how I think about visuals so I can see it in my mind's eye, but it, it's a completely oral experience, oral <laughs> experience. With the actors, it's, you know, uh, it, it's different because you don't have the energy of being in a live room with them, but like this group of people are so fantastic that I could feel 
like the love and passion and joy radiating through the computer screen when we were working together on Zoom. And the the admiration I have for all of them, the like, we can do it, let's get it done attitude that everyone has. Um, we had actors recording in closets. We had actors recording in blanket forts. We had one of our actors one day lost access to his silent room, so he made a, a fort in his child's playpen. It was um, M. Grossland who said... When this was going on, we had three blanket forts all on these little Zoom screens. And he was like, this makes me know in my heart that theater will go on. And that stuck with me throughout the whole rest of the process because it's it's true. Seeing that, that, yes, we can. And then working with the actors, we've tried to, for the initial part of the process, keep it as close to a theater rehearsal process as possible. We would schedule them to meet on Zoom and they would be recording individually but they still have their scene partners to interact with for the scenic work anyway. It's not pure voiceover work where they're recording into a void. And I I thought that that was important so that we still have the human connection that theater provides, (laughs) even though we're doing this remotely. Right. And it also, for my soul, during quarantine, just to see everybody, to see these wonderful humans and to have these recording sessions twice a week or however often we were doing it through those months that we were recording, really just... It gave me a purpose to, you know, just to see everybody's faces. Right. It's a heightened style. I mean, it's kind of Game of Thrones meets, you know, the Terminator meets, you know, musical theater meets uh, Broadway. (laughs) But it is a a very heightened style. Was it difficult to get people on the same page about how uh, this style should be laid out so that we're all living in the same world? Or was it just easy because these people were able to connect in other ways outside of just the scene work? I would say that because a lot of the actors involved are people that we have known and worked with many times and sort of know our style, the majority of the roles were actually like tailored made for the actor playing them. So I think that made it pretty, pretty quick. Okay. Like on the first read throughs, you were really starting to see magic. All right. We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by a few of the stars of The World to Come. With the crew poised to fight back on attacks, there are distant shores that beckon me, there are streams I dream I'll roll, I've heard tell of mountains, majesty, I have never seen one though. Just like Picard, Kirk, and Janeway, and like Benjamin Sisko, I long to boldly go. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The World Behind the World to Come. Now we're going to welcome three of the actors whose voices brought Five Borough to life. Let's welcome Tara Martinez. Hi. Sandra Marante. Hello. And Carson Robinette. Hi. Hello. Yay. Welcome to the episode. First up, Tara. Hi. Hello. So you play the fancy princess Ripley. Fancy. 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 She's fancy, too. Oh, fancy. Science fiction. I get it. Science fiction. I think on the initial table read, I got that <laughs> wrong as well. Oh. I expect everyone to know words I make up. Pronunciations. <laughs> sight. This episode is not going deep into each of the episodes of, of the, the actual uh, musical, but you wow us in that first episode with the first solo number of the entire series in To Boldly Go. Uh, Tara, how did you get involved with this project? 
Well, um, I've been working with Andy Peterson, composer extraordinaire, for about five years. I guess we started around 2015. Um, we've done lots of projects together. And then through Andy, I met Rachel as director on several projects. And then finally, Eric. And uh, I was part of the last project before shutdown. We were actually all together when Broadway shut down. And, uh, and then we all retreated to our respective apartments and quarantined. And within a few weeks, I had an email from Rachel that said, hey, we're going to do a Zoom table read. And I said, what is Zoom? <laughs> <laughs> what did you uh, learn about Princess Ripley going into this? What, did you have any uh, preconceived ideas about who this person was? And then what did you discover as you, as you went along? Well, they had me at Princess. <laughs> Well, it's a natural, obviously. Exactly. It's been a dream of mine to, of course, be a Disney princess. And Andy's music, it's really lent itself to me living my princess dreams. And then I found out about uh, her being a Star Trek fanatic. So I had to go and do some research (laughs) because I had never seen any Star Trek. At all. Really? Yeah, I was I was like, Dharmak and Jalad, what is that? <laughs> That's a deep cut, though. <laughs> you, you totally fooled me. I would have guessed that you were, like, deep into, like, space the whole... <laughs> exactly. Deep Space Nine. And the song is, is really good. I can see everybody fighting to sing this at auditions for the next 10 years. It's one of those uh, comic numbers that is... That, and it's so good. It's so good. Sandra, hello. Hello, how are you? I am well. So you play not just one queen of melodrama, you play two queens of melodrama. Mm-hmm. The Escandalista sisters, Yolanda and Mercedes. Mm-hmm. What was it like to play two people who are so related, yet there's such deep-seated melodrama and you know rivalry between them? Well, I've always wanted a sister, So playing my own sister has been a lot of fun. And, you know, melodrama in the Spanish culture, um, Latina culture, that's that's in our bread and butter. Everything we do is over the top. So I was just being myself. Oh, okay, okay. So how did you get involved in this whole world? I was doing a few demo recordings for another composer in another show, and she referred me for this. So I've never met anybody except virtually that is on, except for Andy, because I recorded at his house some of the songs, but I haven't really met anybody except on Zoom. Wow, the cast party is going to be amazing when we can all get back together. (laughs) I know, I'm excited (laughs) to actually like meet people and hug them and have a drink with them, or seven. Later on in the series, I know you're seeing a duet with yourself. What was that like? Well, my background is actually opera. I'm an opera singer, first and foremost. And when Rachel had me audition, she asked if I could rap. And I was like, yeah, I've done it before. In a drunken karaoke, I have a video if you want to see it. And (laughs) she actually liked it, or whoever watched it liked it. But it's been so much fun to like be out of what I'm comfortable doing and to sing to myself as a sister while rapping. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes this whole quarantine a lot of fun. <laughs> so I had a blast. You obviously created different characters for Yolanda and Mercedes. Did you give certain qualities to Mercedes who comes in hot and angry versus Yolanda? Like what? 
like colors or like what did you assign to each so you could keep them separate in your head? Well, for me, both of the girls, the queens, remind me of people that I know. Yolanda reminds me of myself when I was 16. (laughs) 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 Drama, a lot of drama. Uh, Yeah, and just no filter and just in your face making crazy noises. And Mercedes is a lot like my grandmother. She was a telenovela lover. She was actually like a salsa dancer in Cuba And so everything she does was to the top. Like she was a Tropicana dancer. So every time I think of Mercedes, I think of my grandmother. That's amazing. I love that. I love because they're so different. Yeah. Without necessarily being introduced, like Mercedes. What about you know? I we know who this who these people are and who's speaking and who's singing. So kudos to you. Love it. (laughs) Thank you, Carson. Hi. Hi. (laughs) Hello. Hello. You are the adorably innocent, golly gee, aw shucks, heir to this Hepburner faction. That's me. Your character name is Chip Knickerbocker. What was your inspiration for this innocent, golly gee, aw shucks kind of person? Um, I have to give a lot of credit to, I believe it's Eric's character description. Correct me if I'm wrong. It might also be Rachel. could be any of the creative team, but... When I first was asked to do this Zoom table read, I didn't think too much of it, but I, uh, so like right before we got onto the Zoom to just do some cold reading of one or two episodes, it said how Chip was supposed to be the male version of Dorothy Gale. As a huge Wizard of Oz fan, um, and of course a Judy Garland fan, I immediately was like, oh, okay, right, Dorothy has this like, a oh, kind of accent. And I said, I'm just going to sort of wing like a really bad Dorothy Gale impersonation. And that sort of stuck. And uh, that's that's kind of where Chip came from. Uh, And he just sort of was built off of a poor Dorothy Gale impersonation. (laughs) The table read had us rolling. Like the first time he opened his mouth, it was just like beyond. Uh-huh. But you weren't on diet pills throughout the whole process, though. You didn't take it that seriously. No, th- no, that's season two. It was beyond the Valley of the Dolls. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. For each of you, has this been a new experience to act on a this radio play sort of podcast musical? Is this, has, have you done anything like this, or has this been a brand new that you had to attack and, and rise to the occasion? Totally brand new. Totally. Brand new. Wow. I didn't have any single piece of recording equipment until about a month ago after we had actually wrapped all the dialogue for season one. So this is all what you're seeing right here is like brand new. This is maybe the second time that I've ever used it. So what did you have like a little iPad microphone that you just like went like that? How did what did you use? That's really not far off. What I had to do for every recording session was I was on the floor. I would have an ottoman or some sort of stack of books. I would put my iPhone on a towel I would find some, you know, shelf or bed to uh, put a drape or towel over and I would cover myself in it to make this personal fort. And that's sort of how I was able to block out the noise outside. And I would just record into my iPhone. It was truly theater on a budget. Wow. My favorite moment of his recording process was he had like a purple blanket or towel in which he was sort of cocooned. And at one point when we finished a, a take... It looks like Grimace from McDonald Land was giving birth to him. It was so. I didn't funny. need that image. <laughs> I didn't I did. need that. I did. Oh, I did. Uh, well, that's, that's amazing. So you were kind of like a ghost and in a fort and Grimace all in one. 
Yeah, Halloween came really early <laughs> this year. All for your art, and I, I, I love that. How about you, Sandra and Tar? What was your recording setup like? Is it is it what we see right now, or were you in a closet or underneath a cabinet? What was your what was your recording studio like? I actually, at the beginning of quarantine, like called up all my friends who like to post videos on Instagram and like whatever recording equipment they had. I was like, just make me a list and I'll go on Amazon and order it now. I'd been meaning to get a recording setup uh, for years and it took like a international pandemic for me to finally do it. But I'm glad I did. I've been, yeah, so I've just been working on like a microphone and my computer, not as exciting as a, as a fort unfortunately. Well, you must live in a quieter neighborhood than Carson. No, you can ask Mike, uh, the sound guy. Uh, it's like half of his job has been taking sirens out of the background of my recordings. Yeah. Oh, uh, how about you, Sandra? What was your recording room setup like? I had a mic already and my computer, of course, but I didn't have anywhere to stand it nicely when we were doing the readings with one another of the dialogue. So I used my husband's Lord of the Ring anthology as my mic holder. So I had somewhere to stand the mic and be able to look at people. The fans I approve. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Did you open it to any particular page to get inspiration? No, I just, I used the whole box. The whole thing. Yeah, as like my prop to hold my mic. Not like Tom Bombadil or anything specific, no? No, no, just the whole thing. So what was it like to record the dialogue versus the songs? Because so much of the story is told in the book scenes. We learned so much, but there's also a lot of really funny moments. What was it like to do the songs versus the dialogue? For the dialogue, it was a really unique way of, of acting uh, against scene partners because you're looking at somebody on a Zoom call and then we're each recording into our own individual systems. And then we would send it to Mike, our sound engineer, and he would just then sort of puzzle it together, which is just remarkable to me that he was able to keep track of everything. And also with cadence, like just be able to make it flow you know, because we want to keep the immediacy of having a scene partner, but then on top of that, have the clarity of speaking into a microphone. And, and I think they did a really, really great job of that. And then the songs, Andy would just email or Dropbox a, a backing track. He would also send us a separate track where he would plunk out the melody for each person. He made it so easy. And then you give them the, uh, he would give us the PDF. And so we would just record our own file and then email it and the raw vocal and then they would mix it. Wow. What is so interesting in this process is that usually like if it's a solo song, fine, you can kind of get through with yourself, figure it out artistically. But if we're doing duets and trios, you're kind of still recording by yourself, hoping you can connect and there's no like coaching with Andy or with the other person and get feedback. And like we three have a trio coming up, I think, in episode six. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> and we never recorded together, coached it together, did anything together. So I'm just always in awe of every time I hear a duet um, or a trio or all of us singing together where it sounds like we're all connecting, even though... Mm-hmm. We haven't ever sang it together, coached it together, or recorded it together. So that to me is just amazing. I'm amazed at the song that leads into every episode. 
the world to come where like it's a mm-hmm. group number but you obviously because of quarantine you haven't been able to be together so just a matter that uh, you know it all it's brilliant and it all sounds like you're all in one big studio but it's that's a challenge andy how many voices are on that one uh i think uh like around 15 to 20 on that it's almost the full cast so imagine the audio team sinking all of those bless <laughs> it's just the best example of their expertise because it's if you even knew how much it got tightened up from the first pass to the final pass that's every song in the whole series rachel is consolidating i mean hundreds of notes per episode for the sound team to tighten all these moments up and it is so tedious and it makes all the difference in the world and it is just unbelievable that it's been achieved at this level of excellence from the performers all the way down through to the final pass it's everything yeah obviously the performers have great senses of humor because you're all hysterical but when it, it it's all made in editing like that person had, must be super funny so congratulations because <laughs> we'll everybody have a docusode is. specifically devoted to the audio department coming up Oh, good. Good, good, good. At some point this season. (laughs) Um, So it sounds like you all had a good time, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, such a great time. So what was, uh, I want you all to tell me one moment so far, your favorite memory of this whole recording process. Is there anything that sticks out? Yeah, actually, there was a, so there's a reprise of To Boldly Go, and leading into it is a scene. And I remember Andy sent me, for the first time, he sent me the backing track with, a little snippet of the dialogue leading into the song because it was far enough in the process to where the sound department had actually like mixed it in. Basically, all the music that Andy composed to underscore for that segment. And I, uh, I just burst into tears. It felt so real and it felt like, I was like, this is what this is going to sound like. Like I could actually hear Ripley speaking in the space where she lived over this underscoring. And then it felt so natural to burst into song. So that was my favorite, I think. Sandra, how about you? I have just enjoyed doing the dialogues with everyone, um, especially when I get to play Mercedes, because she's just ridiculous and over the top, like a female Walter Mercado. (laughs) Those moments with Rodrigo are just ridiculous. And the Cardinal, who's both played by Luis, is just, those are my favorite parts. And also when Yolanda and Danielle, who's played by Marissa, they're the two ratchet leaders. (laughs) When they're together, it's just so much fun. I don't know. I would be friends with Danielle. (laughs) So same, (laughs) y'all. Carson, how about you? Do you have a favorite memory? Uh, I I have a couple. Well, lay them out. Uh, Okay, well, the first one that comes to mind has to be the second day that I recorded music with Andy because I, again, my setup was super low budget, just my iPhone. So when it came to the music, we needed real professional recording material. And I was in the middle of breaking a lease on my apartment. I didn't want to buy anything new. I didn't want to pack anything. And I knew it was going back to my parents' place in California, which is where I am now. So Andy said, oh, you're going to have to come to my place and we'll record music there. And the first day I was there, I had been super out of practice. I felt just super self-conscious about the whole thing. And it wasn't until the second day, I think two weeks later, that we were able to get back into the studio in his apartment. Oh, excuse me. 
it was just so great to be singing again. I felt so much more sure of myself and what I was doing. It just reminded me so much about why I loved performing and singing and doing theater. That was just a moment where I had a big appreciation for not only, you know, being an actor and what I like to do, but also being a part of a project that is unique and very special. And there are so many people who are not only so creative, but are so passionate about it as well. Uh, so I, yeah, that that's probably my favorite moment. Have there been any moments when uh, one of your family members comes in the room? It's like, I got to be innocent. So shut up. Like, oh, yes. Like, you know, like shut the door. Like, get out. I got to be really acting now. Yeah, that, that, that has happened a couple times. The worst time, though, was when we were recording an episode and we were, I think it was just like a table read and I wasn't in it too much. And there's this long dialogue of Queen Cyanaris and it's a really central episode to understanding her character and some backstory. And my window was open in my New York apartment and I didn't have a screen on it in comes in this um it looked like a murder hornet it was so huge oh. um uh, it, they're called um dirt daubers they're massive no they look like motorcycles with wings no way terrifying and my camera's <laughs> on and you just I don't know if anyone ever noticed but <laughs> I'm muted, but you just see me looking around all panicked and I run out of the room. I didn't show up for like 10, 15 minutes. Thankfully, I didn't have to say anything, but I had to ask for a recap once it all ended. I said, I missed a lot. Like, give it back to me, guys. So uh, Dobby is what I named it. Dirt Dobby was uh, was the, the biggest pest, literally, of, uh, of recording. Uh-uh. I approve of the pun. Thank you. How about the, our creators? Is there a favorite memory you have of the beginning of this? I want to build off of the first thing that Carson said, which is, just the passion and the the care that the team exudes. Rachel is really sort of like the mom of this entire process and just cares so much about keeping everyone personally well throughout what has got to be the most ridiculous set of circumstances in, in recent history. But just the, the just the one-on-one compassion and care that Rachel puts into all of it. I mean, my favorite moment of the whole process is just the first viewing party when we let the cast have a sort of advanced preview of the episode that was going to be released when it was all done. And everybody's faces, I mean, for a lot of them was the first time they were hearing other scenes and songs and, you know, all the effects and everything. And that was just really special. Andy, how about you? I mean, every time that an actor uh, will send me a vocal take, it's exciting because it's the first time that I get to hear them interpret the music and just hear it come to life. But I think the most exciting time was the the first song I wrote for the whole season was To Boldly Go. And then to hear Tara sing that and it just kind of come to life and jump off the page the way that she is able to make a song do was just like, it made me so excited. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. <laughs> just hearing that come to life. How about you, Eric? I already told you the grimace labor, uh, laboring... <laughs> Carson to to life. No, um, I would say it was the first time I heard the pilot with underscoring and sound effects because it was all sort of like done piecemeal where all the dialogue was done first. So I had heard all the dialogue in a vacuum. I heard all the songs and then things were getting added later. And as Andy was developing a lot of this stuff, because he's writing and scoring all this stuff, he, he wasn't in the room with us during the dialogue sessions. So he he was sort of his own unit. And the two of us, uh, Rachel and I, were constantly in communication like hours a day. And so like to see where his head was with the um, the underscoring, which which we didn't realize, I certainly didn't realize what he had in mind or how cinematic he was planning to do it. 
And hearing that alongside Sean Haggerty's incredible sound effects with Mike and Cadence's incredible like mixing all together, the very moment was the transition from Boogie Town back to Queen's Realm. There's this like underscoring moment, and then you're in you can hear the like reverberation in the throne room of of Gantry Palace and there's this epic like sci-fi fantasy scoring underneath and you it just was like it it brought me to tears it gave me chills and goose pimples as my narrator character would say and it was an absolute <laughs> delight i just it was a, a magical moment so as a special treat let's listen to that transition with just the dialogue Back in Queen's Realm, as Sir Cyborg and Ripley drew near the gates of Gantry Palace, the princess watched a dashing young man dismounting his own steed. Okay, now, let's listen to the transition with dialogue and sound effects. Back in Queen's Realm, as Sir Cyborg and Ripley drew near the gates of Gantry Palace, the princess watched a dashing young man dismounting his own steed which was made of metal and rubber and emblazoned with some mysterious word from a dead language. And now we're going to get to hear it all put together. Let's hear that transition with dialogue and sound effects and underscoring. Back in Queen's Realm, as Sir Cyborg and Ripley drew near the gates of Gantry Palace, the princess watched a dashing young man dismounting his own steed which was made of metal and rubber and emblazoned with some mysterious word from a dead language. Help me down, Sir Cyborg. Of course, Highness. Uncomprehending, Ripley approached the boy and regarded his peculiar conveyance. Crouching to inspect it, she ran her fingers along the letters tracing them. Do you know what this says? Beg pardon? Oh, it says Schwinn. Is that your name? Schwinn? Wow, that was amazing. Can you hear the difference? Isn't that great? Rachel, you get the last word on favorite memories. Uh, What was your favorite memory so far? Oh my gosh, there are so many. I mean, one of them was certainly the first listening party to echo those who said that because the creative team knew at that point what we were putting together, but we knew the actors did not and the musicians did not, that this is the whole thing coming together was going to be a surprise for all of them. And to have the 30 people all in our squares, like, and I think it was Carson that said this, that we were like, like the Muppet show opening number because where everybody's like (laughs) bopping along to all of the songs. And there was so much joy. And the um, chat thread on the side of that Zoom combo was the most fun. I cherish all of the humor and the joy and the love that was happening there. That was definitely one of one of the most exciting moments um, that we were really on track to, to be putting forth this into the world. The other moment was, um, it was when Andy sent us the opening monologue into the f- opening number with some of the first underscore he had laid down. And it was rough. It wasn't mixed yet. It was just like, hey, guys, this is what I'm thinking. And I listened to it and I started bawling like a baby. I haven't been this emotional about a project in maybe a decade Odds were against us to do something this enormous. And, you know, of course, this this team, um, you know, starting with with Eric, Andy and myself, we're always like, yeah, we can. The bigger, the better. Let's go. And so we went. And then with that enormity, bringing on some of the other cherished, wonderful collaborators from previous projects, you know, I, I called 
Mike Luno and Sean Haggerty immediately and was like, guys, we're going to need some killer sound and you guys are amazing. And then I called David and I was like, no, I swear this time you're going to want to do this. Just listen to it. <laughs> but I just, everybody, they're just, yes, yes. Everybody's so excited about it. And the amount of talent with the cast. I mean, you guys are the most talented freaking humans in the world. I'm just, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it feels, <laughs> it feels thrilling to be creating this, to be, to be on this journey with everybody. As an audience member, I can truly see the organic, moment that the aha came at the very beginning of the pandemic when we knew this wasn't going to be two weeks you know we're like in it to see the brilliance among the the creatives there okay well i got an idea and then it sparked and it sparked and it just all came together with such joy and collaboration and topping each other and complementing each other's skills and treats that you're all you know bringing forth and buckets of talent that are that are being brought by all of the cast as an audience member i can truly feel that that this wasn't you know something like uh-huh oh that's nice it's really amazing and just the organic nature of everybody coming together to create this massive huge world that just happened out of the blue it's it's very very special and i'm i'm, I'm i feel very fortunate to be talking to you Yay! Thank you. Well, on that note, uh, this docusode is about over. That's all the time we have. Uh, but please join us for our next docusode. We're going to take an in-depth look into the first two episodes of the series. So please follow the world to come on Instagram and Twitter with at W2C Musical. W2C Musical. The numeral two, and that's Instagram and Twitter, and then Facebook. It's practically the same thing. Facebook.com slash W2, the number C musical. And if you'd like to help support the project and these wonderful artists who did this as a labor of love, please subscribe to their Patreon at patreon.com slash W2C musical.com. And to find out more about the cast, uh, the crew, and the creative team, and to listen to each of the episodes, you can visit the world to come musical.com. You can find me at Instagram and Facebook at HughHeisel.com. That's H-U-G-H-H-Y-S as in Sam, E-L-L. But until next time, I'm Hugh Heisel, and this has been The World Behind The World to Come. Bye, everybody. to come.